Eric Estep here. One of my favorite parts of being a NASCAR fan is collecting diecasts. It's how I got my start on YouTube, actually. To me, a room is not complete until it features shelves of NASCAR diecast cars. It's as good a time as ever to continue your collection or begin an all-new one by pre-ordering your favorite driver's 2022 next-gen diecast at LionelRacing.com or at any authorized Lionel retailer. Lionel is the official diecast of NASCAR, and don't miss Lionel Racing's NASCAR Authentics diecasts at a Walmart or Target near you. Not only is Lionel the official diecast of NASCAR, but they're also official supporters of the Out of the Groove Podcast Network. So what are you waiting for? Head to LionelRacing.com to order your favorite driver's 2022 diecast. In the early days of Alan Kuicki's career, he was just another determined competitor that wanted to make a name for himself in NASCAR's premier series. He had one single Ford Thunderbird that carried number 32 on its doors and roof and was fielded by team owner Bill Terry. During five races in 1985, with his best finish being 13th at Charlotte Motor Speedway, well, there really wasn't very much to write home to Wisconsin about. Like everyone else, he moved from the short tracks to regional series racing to finally break into NASCAR's elite Grand Nationals known today as the Cup Series. Very little money, no sponsorship really to speak of. That old Ford on a single car trailer pulled by a small truck came from thousands of miles away. Made all the sense in the world, right? It made sense to Kawiki, perfect sense. A year earlier in 1984, he sold everything he had to come south to run NASCAR's then Bush Series, known today as the Xfinity Series. Kowicki continued on what was to be a full season with Terry in 1986, but midway through the year, Terry ran out of money. And to keep things going, Kowicki suddenly became a Cup Series team owner, like it or not. Kowicki put together a respectable year of 29 races and won Rookie of the Year honors. With that, some backing came from from some well-known corporate sponsors. In 1987, he switched to car number seven and posted three top fives and nine top tens. Sponsors began to love him and success was beginning to happen. Then in 1988, his first Cup Series win came at Phoenix, which led to that famed Polish victory lap that is still being copied by young drivers today. Kowicki was amazing, winning four more times during his Cup Series career, twice at Bristol, and once each at Rockingham and Pocono. And he did it with a dozen or so crew members with the same winning spirit and dedication that he possessed. Kowicki held a degree in mechanical engineering from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. He always had that mental wheels turning in his mind, always wanting to do better. When Junior Johnson, a prominent successful championship team owner, offered him a ride that included millions of dollars, he said, no, I just want to fill my own Cup Series team. Johnson replied, boy, you're making a huge mistake. The Wiki's vision paid off by winning the 1992 Cup Series Championship over Bill Elliott. And ironically, that was Johnson's driver. He did so by a mere 10 points in a nail biter at Atlanta Motor Speedway in the final race of the season coming on November 15, 1992. Everyone thought Kowicki was on his way to more titles as a driver and possibly even more as a team owner throughout the 90s and beyond. Sadly, we lost Kowicki in an airplane crash on April 1st, 1993, while en route to Bristol Motor Speedway at only 38 years of age.
The thought of the fallen champion brings forth memories of amazing triumph over incredible odds and deep sadness over his loss. Alan Kowicki was truly a rising star that left us way too soon. Welcome back to a Lifetime in NASCAR podcast. My good buddy Ben White and myself, Jerry Bunkowski, looking forward to episode number 58 today. And this is an absolutely unique, special, monumental, historic date because it's the first time we are going to have a guest on our show. And we couldn't think of a better guest than our old buddy, Tom Roberts. And what makes the show even more special this week is I know it's a few days past the uh, what I would call the sad anniversary of the passing of Alan Kowicki, but Tom had a long history with, with uh, Alan uh, as his PR man, and then uh, Tom started the Kowicki Driver Development Program a few years back. We're going to talk about that as well, too. So I guess without further ado, Tom Roberts, thank you ever so much for joining us. You are the first guest we've ever had on the Lifetime in NASCAR podcast. We plan on doing a lot of guests, like maybe every other week or so. That's kind of the game plan. But you are definitely, uh, you know, you're number one. There's no question about it. You're, you're number one in a lot of areas in, in my, our lives as well, too. You've been a great friend, a great PR representative, uh, everything like that. So thank you very much for joining us. I really appreciate you coming on with Ben and myself. Well, it's it's uh, certainly uh, an honor to be here. And I did not know that I was the, the your first guest, but uh, man alive. Now, now you've got me. I'm just thrilled about this. This is great. <laughs> well, I was going to say the first victim, but I, I didn't think it was so appropriate. So it's the first guest, but, you know. But no, uh, knowing you guys, uh, it's it's just such a pleasure uh, to join you guys and, uh, and and chat anytime. You know, we we all three go back so far uh, yep. working together, and certainly we're blessed to be part of. I guess we can call it the good old days. Yep, exactly. That's why we do this podcast. It's the good old days, a lifetime in NASCAR. Exactly, exactly. So I guess, Tom, you know, you, uh, you know, we're doing this show, a special show on Alan Kowicki. You know, he made the NASCAR Hall of Fame well, well-deserved, long overdue, in my opinion. Um, and you had such a long uh, history with, with Alan. Um, you know, I guess the best place to start off with is, when you look back at the time you had with Alan and your friendship and, and uh, working relationship and that kind of thing, you know, this was a guy that was cut from, you know, the, the, the best, pr- pretty much the best ground there is, you know, Midwest boy born, born and raised in Milwaukee, you know, came down with a dream to make it in NASCAR did so won, won several races wins the championship. And then tragically we lost him on April 1st of 1993. I mean, he, he barely got a chance to really enjoy that championship. But, you know, when you look back at your time with Alan, and I know this might be a tough question to start off asking you, but what, what, what's your, what do you remember about him? What, what made him the unique man that he was? Cause he was unique. There's no question about that. Well, first of all, uh, you know, you, you guys, maybe not, maybe you're not fully o- aware of, the significance of you doing the show and that, uh, of course, this is the beginning of the uh, 30th anniversary of, mm-hmm. of the 92 championship. So 
it's yes, you know, every year that, that April 1st comes around, everyone that was uh, connected that was blessed to be part of Alan's story certainly is a dismal day because we remember uh, remember how dark that day was. But again, it's it's the start of a celebration of the 30th uh, anniversary of his incredible run to the championship. And that's cer certainly something that we've already uh, started. Uh, of course, we have huge plans, which I'm hoping come to fruition mm -hmm. on down the line uh, later on this year. But to answer your question, uh, it went back to about 1981 when I was working at the, the track in Nashville. And I'd heard of Alan Kowicki uh, following all of the Midwestern racing and of, of particularly the ASA series at the time at the, at the Nashville truck, we had uh, a weekly series. We had two cup races. We had uh, ASA show, all pro show. And then we had uh, the all American 400 at the end of the year, which was, was like, we called it back then the Civil War on Wheels, but I don't think that you could call it that anymore, <laughs> being politically correct. But I was, I was attending a a race at Winchester, the Winchester Four Hundred, uh, Winchester, Indiana, of course, mm -hmm. and I was staying at the Holiday Inn, and. Uh, west of the track and i'm trying to think of what the name of the city was anyhow we the hotel was was uh in, in muncie muncie indiana mm -hmm. and uh i was staying there because rex and becky robbins who ran the asa got got johnny in a room there and we were having dinner on uh, a thursday night and uh, I'll never forget Becky saying, uh, Tom, have you ever met Alan Kowicki? We were talking about various drivers, of course, Rusty, Moore, all of those guys. Have you ever met Alan Kowicki? And I said, no, I hadn't had the, you know, I have not had the privilege uh, to, to, to meet him, but I know who he is. And she says, you know, I often, this is Becky, so I often tell him, he's too smart. To, you're too smart to be a race car driver. <laughs> so it's like, I got to meet this guy. It was just in that conversation uh, that night at dinner that, that I was determined uh, to, to meet Alan. And that was uh, one of the priorities for the weekend. Of course, Joni and I were there to set up with the, with the uh, pace car and sell tickets for the event. We did a lot of that back then. And I loved it, uh, you know, getting to go to a lot of short track shows and meet people. So I, uh, the next day I, I left Johnny uh, over on the, by the, the pace car, she, where are you going? I'm going inside, hoping to meet Alan Corky. So I go inside 
And here's this guy who's under the hood, under the car, you know, inside the car. So I'm just, it was almost like a dizzying experience to see <laughs> him the way that he was, he was working. He was so busy. And he, and I did that like two or three times during the course of the weekend. I never had a chance to meet Alan <laughs> face to face because I, you know, I was not one that was going to interfere with, you could, you could tell how determined he was and what a, a hard worker he was. And I, I felt like I was not going to infringe at all uh, on his workspace. But the cool thing is that that Sunday we're, uh, we're, set up we're selling tickets and a gentleman comes by and we strike up a conversation this is, he was going to come to uh that race the all-american 400 and uh said really you you know you're a big fan and this conversation led led to him telling me yeah that his son was a driver and it was jerry cook that I had the opportunity to meet that Sunday morning of the 400 at Winchester. And, I, you know, I said, I, t I had told him, I told him that it, what Becky had said and th that I had attempted to try to, to meet face-to-face -face Alan. And he, it was almost like that was something that, uh, he enjoyed hearing because it, I, I'm sure that that it painted a picture to him of the dedication and determination and work ethic that that Jerry had instilled in Alan. So uh, did not get to meet him that weekend. And I think he finished like fourth. I'm not sure where he finished, but. I go back to, to Nashville, to the trap, and it's um, one of the things also I used to love to do is, is write news releases. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that particular event, uh, I had to do X number or decided to do X number for the all pro drivers from the South, and X number uh, from ASA from the North. And that week, I wound up writing uh, a release on Alan Kowicki. And at that time, you wound up, I mean, there was no such thing as emailing, mm -hmm. texting. You actually printed your release and you put it in the mail. And so I, I forget how many weeks ahead that the Winchester was the Winchester race was. I think Winchester race was like the last weekend of September, maybe, and then our the All American was like the first weekend of November. So there was like a six week or so interval in between, mm -hmm. and it was enough time that, of course, I had I couldn't have any direct quotes because I didn't have a chance to talk to him. At Winchester, so I had stats and all this stuff, and I actually quoted. Uh, pretty sure I quoted Rex, 
about his feeling toward, you know, watch this guy and uh, unique from the education perspective and just, and uh, I wound up uh, tagging the, with a headline of Kawiki soon to be a household name. <laughs> and a bunch of the, the, at that time, there was so many racing trade peppers. There was uh, out of the Midwest, it's Midwest Racing News, it's checkered flag racing news, several of them. And uh, I think it was John Quinn's checkered flag racing news. Anyhow, I'm, I am in, the, uh, in my office uh, at the track in Nashville, and I get a, uh, a phone call. And it's, uh, pick it up, it's Tom, like that Midwestern nasal. <laughs> <laughs> I said, this is, yes, uh, this is Tom. This is Alan Kawicki. Why did you do that? I was like, what? What he was asking was he had read the story. And he couldn't really understand why, since I didn't meet him, why I would do a story that was that positive, and especially with a soon to be a, a household name tag you know, like on it. Mm -hmm. And I told him the whole story, point blank, told him about having dinner with Rex and Becky at the, the Holiday Inn and my intentions to meet him over that weekend and the three times that I came inside that he was so busy I didn't want to you know interrupt him and uh, the, even I think I told him even the fact that I, I met his dad on roast so he thought that was like the coolest thing that somebody would would uh, would do that like for him. So I think that that was such a great first line of communication that he and I enjoyed. And during the uh, the end of the phone call, it was it was uh, a plan for us to get together. We always had. Uh, the night before our track opened for the All-American 400, we always had uh, barbecue right. and draft beer. And so it was, uh, we scheduled, we were going we to meet and chat and everything uh, at, at the barbecue at the racetrack. And uh, we did. And he and I sort of, I think I actually carried him upstairs like to my office. You was always behind him? the Grinston. Well, we walked. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, yeah. there must have been a yeah. lot of draft beer there. Not he was, well, I was going to say, that. he was so tired from working on the race car, he couldn't go up the steps. That's, that's what a, it was. That's a southern. <laughs> at the yeah, time, there was no elevator. Thing. You had to walk up the steps. So I invited him. Okay. To, <laughs> we, like, we, we had plates and we went up to my office. And we ate and we chatted uh, and became like instant 
friends. I think, uh, and I've said this often, <clears throat> I think the fact that, and he went on to, uh, to even uh, sing praises of him having an education not only allowed him to know the mechanics <coughs> from his engineering perspective, but it also uh, allowed him to communicate better. Mm -hmm. And <coughs> I think that he, he may have even seen that I had a copy of, of my diploma <coughs> on the wall in my office and <clears throat> we got to talking about <clears throat> college and college life and college degrees and i think that that might <clears throat> have also been uh, a common denominator yeah well you know uh, alan i i think the only language he really knew <laughs> was you know he was his wheels were constantly turning in his brain all the time, even in the, in this cup series days, when you tried to talk to him in interviews and I knew this firsthand was that you'd ask him a question and he seemed, and, you, and maybe you can back me up on this, uh, Tom, but he seemed like he was constantly thinking about the race car and he was almost had that. Now, what did you say? Look on his face yeah. and he'd always have to go back and he heard your question, but he was always thinking about gear ratios and engines and things he had to do to the race car is almost like, hurry up and get this done because I got to get back under the car in the car, just like you talked about uh, the first time you met him. We, you would, would you agree with that? Oh, totally. <clears throat> and, and he also, uh, he, <clears throat> he would have, I remember him having later on ha him having conversations with Rusty when they would talk about setups and what sharks and springs and, you know, he would be the kind of guy that Rusty would tell him what he had. He said, that won't work. You know, it's just that kind of. <laughs> yeah, that was a good old Alan. I remember. Yeah, I remember this. I have a photo of Alan and, and I'm jumping ahead. Sorry, but at Richmond, when he finished, I think <coughs> to Bill Elliott uh, in the early 90s. And he just he was constantly. He was talking, but he was constantly rubbing his head and thinking <laughs> because he'd had his helmet off and he was constantly as if he was like trying to think, what did I do wrong? Should I have gone high or low? Should I have passed, tried to pass him in three? Constantly thinking about the car, his actions on the track. What should I have, what should I have done differently to, you know, that kind of thing. And he was constantly, I, I never, that's the one thing I remember about Alan. He was always analytical, always thinking mm -hmm. about what he should have done differently. What he should have turned differently on the car you know that mechanical engineering mind was never turned off at least that was my impression absolutely yeah. um you know he was and that's what another thing that made him so unique <clears throat> and that he never knew what was going through that mind of his he was already he stayed steps ahead right mm -hmm. uh at the racetrack or just in general life. Tom, when did you first, um, I mean, obviously you met Alan, but when did you first join up with him, you know, to work for, with him? Uh, actually, when, uh, when, when we had our first meeting at 
at Nashville. Uh, I'm almost thinking now that that he he was in the process of trying to figure out what his career was going to be, mm-hmm. uh, what he was going to do, short track, when he was going to move south. And I'm thinking that we ended uh, our conversation saying that, you know, keep in touch and let me know what your what your plans are. And, you know, I'd like to help you any way that, you know, I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And it, it was uh, before he left <clears throat> Wisconsin to come south, uh, he he called me and was asking for a sense of direction or and he finally came out and said would, would you be willing to 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 help me you know from uh like a pr standpoint <laughs> and i i was quick to tell him now by then you know of course i had already left the racetrack in 19 19- Eighty uh, at the end of eighty three, in nineteen eighty uh, for the eighty four season, Eddie Gossage had hired me to do uh, the NASCAR stuff for Miller, so that put me together with with Bobby Allison. So this was after that, and when Alan asked me if I could help him, I point blank told him, "This is well, you know that." Uh, that my priority uh, will have to always be the the Miller program and and <clears throat> their driver and probably the best compliment ever paid me was by him when he told me that well you know whatever time you can offer I would rather have whatever time you can offer than what I would full time somebody else. And mm-hmm. that was it was like the ultimate compliment to me. So uh, and I really think that <clears throat> I was we were all blessed at that time that it allowed us to operate uh, and work together in an environment that it was so unique and that I don't think it could ever happen today. And that with <clears throat> helping Alan during his uh, rookie of the year season in 1986, I'm working with Bobby Allison. Bobby Allison knew Alan, loved Alan to death, you know, the, from a, the religion standpoint of, of, you know, staunch Catholics throw father Gruba into the mix. They knew everybody. So, and Ben will even know this, that in 1986, Carrie Allison was the president of the Allen Kawicki fan club. So (laughs) that was so cool. It was was. just all of the the people wanting to see Allen succeed and, and, you know, trying to, to help him in any way that they possibly could. So it was just a natural fit. And then you go on down the line when you think about the relationship continuing on with with me working with Alan as like my golf game, right? My side project, and the Miller drivers being my primary 
project. Uh, even, you know, like when, when Bobby got hurt, and the, the, uh, we temporarily had Mike Alexander in there. Mike Alexander was part of the, the same team. Then Trickle in 1989, the way that things uh, turned out and the, the personalities that were involved mm -hmm. uh, with, with Bobby Allison first and then you know, Mike Alexander and Dick Trickle and Rusty. And with Rusty, uh, you got to also remember that, that Rusty and Alan raced so much and had such great mutual respect for each other that when Alan was in need of a, of a crew chief uh, for the 87 season, it was Rusty who wound up sending Paul Andrews to Alan, mm -hmm. and it became, you know, such a, a great fit there. So, you know, and looking back, there was many times I think back about the chemistry, the personalities that uh, were involved, and uh, it was just such a unique scenario that allowed me to uh, to work with both of the drivers with the understanding that you know that Alan had, plus uh, seeing them both, you know, succeed like they did. Mm -hmm. I, I, it, it was that was almost like a once in a lifetime situation that would allow allow that environment and uh, I was so blessed to be able to be part of it when when you think back about Alan obviously he played such a, such a significant <laughs> role in your life and then you came up with the idea of the Kowicki driver development program that was back in 2016 was it I believe no actually the the idea <clears throat> was Thelma Kowicki Talking with uh, Jan Beatty and Mark Horn, who were, it was like her uh, financial advisor, her attorney, uh, that she, they had already started doing the, uh, the scholarships at UNCC and at University of uh, Wisconsin at Milwaukee, where Alan got his engineering degree. Mm -hmm. But she wanted, to do something that would be directly related to uh, a race car driver or race car drivers. So there, Jan and Mark were in Milwaukee talking to, uh, to Thelma mm -hmm. about ideas and who might be a part of it. And she immediately thought, of me, uh, because she remembered, you know, the great relationship that I had with Alan on Instrumental, and she knew that that I had uh, a good deal of knowledge about short cut racing. But I think what she didn't know at the time was what was going on with uh, with me, and and uh, relative to the business. Uh, in 2000 and let's see, in 2010, 2011, 2012, <clears throat> I was working for Penske Racing. I was still, you know, living here in in Alabama, 
but on the road, working with their drivers and teams, mm -hmm. uh, first with the, the Miller deal and then with, <clears throat> with Pennzoil. But the end of the 2012 uh, season was, it was my last, that was my last year. Uh, mm -hmm. Pretty much I was going to have to move to Charlotte. Uh, I probably could have gone on in some capacity, but uh, I didn't want to move. And, uh, it, you know, you, you think back about being personally blessed. Uh, my deal, Roger and Walt and all the guys at Penske thought so much of me that <clears throat> I was pretty much paid. I didn't have to do anything for two years. Uh, and when I look back on it, what a personal blessing and that that allowed uh, myself and Joni to, mm -hmm. to do more traveling and spend more time together than what we ever did. Right. Uh, we never had any children because I was living the circus life on the NASCAR tour. Right. Right. And uh, so we, we went more. And of course, you know, she's diagnosed with cancer in 2015, but uh, it was the fall of 14. All of this had been happening in the background with, uh, with Thelma and Jan and Mark, and they reached out to me, and they told me what Thelma had in mind, and I wound up coming to, to Charlotte. We had several meetings before we announced it, and what was so uh, heartwarming for me is almost like they gave me a blank sheet of canvas to lay, uh, lay the program out, Right. and on I, I when I left Charlotte after the, the initial meeting, I said, you know, let me think about this. So uh, during my, my many long walks, I started putting together <clears throat> a situation around a number seven, which was Alan's, you know, number. Uh, right. Right. Seven drivers, seven board members, uh, racing for seven months, a uh, uh, $7,777 stipend. <laughs> for all of the drivers and then I, this is kind of cool in that i thought about how would alan do this yeah the natural extension for that would be well you have your grand prize it would be seven thousand seventy seven thousand seven hundred seventy seven dollars right, right? right that's right. A, that's the extension of seven i said right. alan wouldn't do that alan was always wanting to save a buck, you know, <laughs> yet, yet still get the idea and, you know, and, and get the, the, the big picture goal uh, achieved. So that's why on one of my walks, I said, well, why not just multiply the seven, 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 seven times seven, instead of it being right. 77. So you do that, you, it's not, it's not, you're saving a little bit of money along the way is what I'm saying. Right, exactly, right. When right. you're talking about a short track uh, grand prize of more than $54,000, that still speaks volumes. Mm -hmm. And it's a giant pot of gold. It's a giant, uh, you know, grand prize for uh, the drivers to shoot at. And then I, I also along the way thought of how uh, we might uh, 
come up with even a, a, a special trophy. So I don't know if you've seen our, yes. our Wiki Cup, but right, right. a lot of emphasis done on Allen, but a lot of emphasis also done on Mighty Mouse. And that, you know, through the years, that became uh, like his little mascot. He always wore the, the, the Mighty Mouse logo, the patch. So a lot of those things that we, we did implement into the program and and I'm so pleased with how it's gone. <clears throat> this is our seventh uh, our seventh season. Seven, 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 seven. <laughs> there you go. And and also when you're thinking about it being the seventh season, it it also coincides with the 30th anniversary right. of Allen's run to the championship. So yeah. this will be a you know this will be a heck of a year for us. I was just looking through the numbers. <clears throat> we've had 32 drivers through the years that wow. we've that we've helped. Mm -hmm. Which was also one of his car numbers, by the way. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. But we've had 32 different drivers. And when you think about uh, stipend checks and everything, probably $650,000 we've helped, <laughs> that we've helped drivers uh, from a monetary standpoint. And it's, it's good in that uh, we also <coughs> tie in the community service mm -hmm. element into our contest right well you know the, the fact that you've um you know helped so many young drivers that's got to be very humbling but at the same time you know and i might be speaking out of turn uh by saying this but a you're obviously carrying on alan's legacy b you're doing it in a way that i think alan probably would have done it if he was going to run it and see, I've got to imagine there's a lot of um, uh, humility for you. There's a lot of uh, self-satisfaction because you're keeping Alan's legacy alive. Yes, he we lost him over 29 years ago, and but you know this is a guy whose legacy you want to keep alive, much like a Dale Earnhardt Sr. You want to keep that legacy alive because he was such a pivotal part in the NASCAR community. I mean, the way he did it, the way he won the championship in 92. And then, you know, sadly we lost him just a few months later. I mean, that has to make you feel good that you're still able to carry on that legacy for Alan, I would imagine. You know, Jerry, you think just little things that, that mean so much and having the tools to work with, uh, Father Gruba's book mm -hmm. on Alan. We're hoping to get you know that reprinted. There was the movie uh, of Alan. So there's tools, even 30 years later, that you can utilize to educate. Uh, it's amazing to see how these kids uh, on uh, kids. You know, never had any children of my own, but all my drivers become like my kids. Right. Right. Yeah. They, they go out on their own to learn all they can about Alan. And just this last Saturday night, I was watching uh, the opening night from the fairgrounds in Nashville. And uh, the, the winner, I mean, he led from green to checkered as a kid named Cole Williams, mm -hmm. who was 
uh, one of a member of our inaugural uh, group back right. in 2015. And how did he celebrate after he won the race? He I know, a, I know. <laughs> he did a Polish victory lap. <laughs> love it, I love it. And that's a, it's a continuing deal to where uh, all of these kids every year, they want to be the first one, they want to do a Polish victory lap. <clears throat> and I know that Alan, <clears throat> And Thelma and Jerry would just appreciate that so much. I, you know, when, when you're thinking about it being that long, that many years ago, it is quite ama amazing to see a continuation of an educational project mm -hmm. of, of and, and that's, it's something that is so heartwarming to me. And, you know, we don't, we never know what the, the next day holds for us. And self-satisfaction to me, and that I really do feel like uh, that we've done a great job and they would be so proud <coughs> of our ability to keep his legacy and his memory going. Yeah, well, here's a, a question I wanted to ask you from a PR viewpoint, night, the final race of 1992, Tom, uh, what was that day like for you and how long did it take for your hair to grow back after you <laughs> pulled your hair out? Because that was an incredibly difficult race to, I, I was there and, and, you know, one lap Bill Elliott was leading the championship. The next lap Allen was leading the championship and it went back and forth lap by lap by lap, as you know, you were there, but can you just describe what it was like for you to, to handle that race as a PR person? Well, you got to remember, I was also working uh, with, uh, with, with Rusty yeah. at the time. Yeah. And so I'm back and forth on pit road. <clears throat> and when it came down to, to, uh, it being the, the battle between Alan and Bill and fuel mileage and all that stuff, I could only, you know, listen to scanners and everything and get super excited, get thrilled and, like you said, so nervous energy and everything mm -hmm. about pulling your hair out. Uh, we've had so many different great conversations with, again, this is all um, in hopes of putting something together at the end of this year, but had the opportunity twice to talk to Dr. Jerry Punch <laughs> about that day and, you know, them working the pits and, getting like Ken Martin in the, in the truck trying to, to, to do the laps and trying to <clears throat> figure out the points. And yeah, he said that was a lot of pressure on him. Too. I, I know you and see, here it is. That was 30 years ago. And I, when, when we talk about this, I get so darn excited again. <laughs> it's like, it's like reliving the situation, but yeah, I, you know, I think the exclamation point that day was, was again based on the Polish victory lap. Yeah. When if you go back and you think about his career, <clears throat> Alan only did that twice. Alan right. did the Polish victory lap after his first win at Phoenix. I was there. Did, yep. did not do it again until he won the championship. Yep. Yeah. yep. Exactly. Yeah. Because Ken Car Ken Martin told me he said Benny Parsons and Bob Jen Jenkins looked at him and said, 
are you sure Allen won the championship? <laughs> because he said, if you're wrong, we're going to be in trouble. And, and Ken said he felt bullets of sweat coming down his forehead because he didn't know. I mean, he said, I know, but I'm not sure if I know. Because it's yeah. how close it was. <clears throat> You're and exactly right. It's like, are you sure? Because that was a, boy, that was a close race. It I was mean, close. And then, you know, the, the, I always treasure the, the, the celebration, <coughs> not only there at the track, but I remember, uh, I remember that night well, and that Ford was having a party at the Hilton at the airport. And that turned into the first, the championship party for, for Alan and all of the, all of his team guys. And it was just, that was, it was special. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yes, it was. And, and of course, I mean, I don't want to, well, I don't really want to bring this up, but I mean, the April 1st, 1993 day, of course, was not good. And of course, you were having that was a traumatic day for you as it was for all of us. It was. Uh, you know, I think that the coming to deal with it, <clears throat> it was like shock factor at first. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't even, uh, you know, point to a, a date to where the shock factor wore off. I think the fact that that I was scheduled to be on the plane mm -hmm. <clears throat> certainly was something I had to deal with. And I, I finally just came to grips with it that, you know, fate was fate. I, it, it, if I were to walk out of, out of my office downtown Guntersville and walking down to the post office and wouldn't look somebody runs red light you know I, I get run over and you know that could have been been the end of of my life but I again I, I think that and many people have told me this that perhaps I was spared to be the messenger to carry on the Alan Kawiki legend yeah and what better choice to, to have you be the one that carries on that legend? Tom, I know you've got to run, and we can't thank you enough for the time you've taken with us. We've really enjoyed this. we got to do this again. I mean, there's, I mean, we could do another show with you about not only Alan, but we can certainly do you know, your time with Rusty, your time with a lot of other drivers, Kurt Busch. I mean, I, I still remember that day or that evening, actually, uh, when we were at um, at Wrigley Field and uh, Kurt was honored, you know, and he uh, he did he threw did the seventh inning stretch. I still remember that. I mean, I'm from Chicago. Obviously, it's it's not hard to 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 forget that kind of thing. It was really a good time. So, if you uh, would be uh, uh, agreeable, we'd like to get you on you know, in a future episode. Maybe do something with the um, you talking about your time with Rusty and and because I think the fans would really enjoy that as well too. Hey. It, I, it would be an honor. Uh, you know, I think you, you just rolling off the, those names there and the experiences that I've been blessed to <clears throat> to enjoy. Uh, racing's been good for me. You know, <clears throat> I've I've enjoyed every minute of it. Well, hey, Tom, here's the thing I, I suggest you do. You talked about all the sevens earlier. You said you walk eight miles. I think you ought to walk seven. <laughs> <laughs> 
just to keep it in the family, you know. <laughs> there you'll, you go. You'll, you'll feel or, or, better or, about yourself with seven miles instead of you eight. You know, I've got one of those odometer things, maybe seven point seven seven seven. There you go. There there you go. go. There That's you a go. better Perfect. idea. That's, That's a better idea. That's right. That's right. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's right. Awesome. Well, Tom, listen, thanks thank again. you again ever so much. And, um, you know, uh, from Ben and myself, I mean, just it, it's it's been an honor to have you on. You're the first guest we've had. I mean, we've done 50. Well, this is our 58th episode, and this is the first time we're having a guest. And we're going to start doing guests on a regular basis. We're hoping every other week. And, uh, you know, we'd love to bring you back. Maybe maybe we'll bring you back around the time of the um, the uh, Bristol night race, because obviously Rusty was so um, you know, so, um, connected with that race. We could talk about that. We could talk about your time with Russ, you know, and obviously Kurt's done well at, at Bristol as well. So we got a lot of things we could, things we could talk about. So thank you again ever so much for joining us on the lifetime and NASCAR podcast, Tom, and you have a good uh, rest of the day then. Okay. Thanks guys so much. It's my pleasure. And, uh, it's been a, a, a true, uh, enjoyment. Great. Thank you very much. Kawicki's going to do something spectacular. Let's see. Remember his first win at Phoenix? He took what he called, and there these are his words, a Polish victory lap. Yep. And guess what? He's going to do it again. <laughs> All right, we're back here with the Lifetime in NASCAR podcast, Ben White and Jerry Bunkowski, and great, great, great insight from our first ever guest on the podcast, Tom Roberts, longtime veteran uh, PR man in NASCAR and all types of motorsports, was PR man for Bobby Allison, uh, uh, Rusty Wallace, and obviously, uh, you know, Kurt Busch, and, and obviously, like I said, um, you know, for Alan Kowicki. And, you know, Ben, Thinking about it back to Alan Kowicki, um, you know, I've got a couple of quick stories that, that I wanted to uh, convey, but I'm going to defer to you first because you had a, a, a better relationship with him, a, you know, more of a in-depth relationship. I mean, I, I met him and interviewed him a number of times and, you know, had a really good thing. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, when you look back at, at the time you spend all those times with, with uh, Alan, what was the one thing that just hit you like a like almost like a truck hitting you that about his personality and and the kind of guy he was i mean how determined he was how competitive he was tell me about well, that i i can answer that pretty quickly he didn't have much of a personality at all he, <laughs> well well it depends he, on how you describe well, that I mean, what you know? i mean by that is he was so determined <laughs> right. to get and i i say that in a positive note i didn't right, say right, that right. in a negative way he was so determined to win in a race car and you know, he had that, he truly did have that mechanical engineering brain. He did right. not, he was, if you were looking for somebody to hop up on the table and, and sing a song or do a <laughs> jig, it wasn't Alan Kowicki. Right, okay? right. That was just not him. He was the kind of guy that he, if you ask him a question about a race car, about how he performed in the race, it was always, I could have done better. Yeah, he was yeah. never even when he won a race. I don't think he was truly happy with his performance or what he did on the racetrack. There was always something that he could have done better, or the crew could have done better. He appreciated the people that helped him. Don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. but he was always going back and looking at uh, at ESPN type uh, a broadcast. Whoever, let's say whoever was broadcasting it, uh, he would watch his crew's pit stops. He would watch his performance on the racetrack there was always a place to get better. And mm -hmm. he wanted to uh, perform to the very best of his ability. Even back in the ASA days, 
the way his engines ran, the way his chassis performed, everything about Alan Kowicki was, I can do it better. Right. And even, and that was, I guess, his mantra, if you will, uh, when he was offered the good rides, the big rides, I think Junior Johnson offered him a ride and Maxwell House was going to be the sponsor. And it was going to be the number 11 Maxwell House Ford. And he said, nope. He said, what do you mean? Nope. He said, no, I'm going to. I'm going to take that sponsorship and I'm going to take it myself. And I'm going to run it on my cars. He said, well, not, that's not totally the way it's going to work. Uh, you don't have that sponsor. I do. And as it turned out that junior was right. He did have it with number 22 and Sterling Marlin, but Alan was going to take that sponsorship and in, in, in his own way. And he said, I'm not going to run for you. I'm going to, I'm going to do it myself. Cause I know I can do better. Yeah, that was Alan Kowicki. That was the way if you had to describe him, he was determined, dedicated uh, to do it his way. And as the song, this Frank Sinatra song, as we've talked about in other past podcasts, that was his way of doing it. And but, you know, he, he just his personality was, oh, he's a nice guy. Don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. he was very determined uh, individual. And even there were some other folks that tried to work for him and it didn't work out. One of those guys is one of your best friends. That was Ray Evernham. Ray mm-hmm. Evernham worked for, for Alan. A lot of people don't realize that. Right. But that was an oil and water situation. Both are excellent crew chiefs and excellent team owners, but they just couldn't see eye to eye. And after Ray left working on the IROC series cars, he went to Alan and then he went on from there uh, to work on cars for a little kid. What's his name? Uh, Jeff Gordon. <laughs> and, and the rest is history. And they had great success together. So it's, it's amazing how some people have tried to um, but, you know, and I find this to be so true with these ben, drivers. Ben, give you ben, an example. Ben, Davey? ben, we had a, a problem with the internet. Can you uh, go, hold on a second. I'm having a problem again with this thing. Hold on. Okay. It's saying it's, okay, now we're back to being stable. Go back to where you were at about, um, 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 lost my train of thought. Um, just, yeah, just go back to start where you were talking about, you know, uh, like. Uh, Everham, maybe? Yeah, go from there, yeah. Okay, so. Uh, yeah, and, and Ray Evernham and uh, uh, Alan Kowicki once tried to work together. The chemistry just wasn't there for both of them. They were great as far as crew chiefs in their own right and and later on team owners uh, for for uh, Ray Evernham mm-hmm. and, of course, Alan Kowicki being a driver team owner. And uh, But together, they just didn't have the chemistry to work together. But there's another something I want else I wanted to, to share with you though too. When you would find these race drivers at the racetrack, uh, they were so different than they were outside the racetrack. And, right. and I, one example I want to give you that I knew personally was Davy Allison. Davy was a, a very good close friend of mine. But and I can say this firsthand, he wasn't ever you know hateful or anything to me at the racetrack. But I remember one instance that happened at Charlotte in the early '90s we were getting ready to do an interview together and he very politely said to me, he said, Ben, I have a, a favor to ask. And I said, sure. What is it? He said, I'm really, really struggling with this chassis and I'm trying really hard. This is for his Bush series team, which is Xfinity now. But he said, is there any way that we can postpone this and let me sit here in the quiet in the back of this transporter and let me figure out what the heck is going on with this car. 
and we'll talk later because I got this on my mind and I can't get it off my mind. I'm trying to figure right. out how to make this thing work. And I said, sure, it's no problem. I can come back later. And so the point I'm trying to make is these drivers are so focused on what's going on in the racetrack. And then when you get them outside the gates of a racetrack and they've done their business for the day on that car, they're a totally different person. Oh yeah. Well, oh yeah. In yeah. Alan's case, you know, to a degree, he was that way away from the racetrack. But if you got him out in a social setting, like a, like a national motorsports press association type setting, he might have some type of drink in his hand and a suit and tie, but he was always thinking about that race. car. <laughs> exactly. And that's the way Alan was. He never could right. let go of it. And I'm sure he's, he studied the ceiling tiles <laughs> in the hotel rooms studying, you know, thinking about these race cars. And so, but yeah, Alan was, I never knew him on a personal level, but every time I interviewed him, he was, he was a good interview, but he didn't have a, he wasn't a chatty Kathy type guy. He, yeah. he, was, he gave you what you needed. But he was right. always thinking, always thinking. Well, I'll tell you a couple of my, you know, we've got about uh, about seven or eight minutes left here on the, on the show. Uh, I'll give you a couple of my quick um, memories of him. Number one, without question, Tom Roberts mentioned it, um, you know, the 1988 race, uh, his first ever win at Phoenix uh, Internet. Well, at the time, Phoenix International Raceway. Now it's Phoenix Raceway. And that was the first time he, uh, first of two times he ever performed the Polish uh, victory lap, the backward lap around the racetrack in celebration. And like Tom said, the second one was when he won the championship in Atlanta in 92. But I'll never forget that day because they brought Alan up to the press box. And, and I, again, I, I know I've talked about this before in the past, and this is no uh bad reflection upon the folks at the Phoenix Raceway today, but back then that press box was, it was horrible. I mean, you know, there was cigarette butts and dust and dirt and everything around the press box. And Alan, it was funny because I remember he sat down, uh, there was probably, I don't know, maybe 25 of us maybe in the press box, if that reporters. And I noticed how he gets kept on like dusting off where he was sitting at. You know, it was, <laughs> yeah. it was so funny to watch him, but then my other uh, big memory of him I, was, I believe it was 90, it must've been 91 or 92. I don't remember the exact year, but I went to interview him at Michigan International Speedway. And, um, you know, we were only supposed to do about a 10 minute interview. And this is one thing, Ben, you might be surprised about what I'm going to tell you. He was not only gracious, he wanted me to hang out with him. I was shocked, mm -hmm. but of course- we we kind of had an affinity though because he knew I was Polish. I mean, come on, a name of like Bonkowski. I mean, so we we got that we had that affinity. He's from Milwaukee. I'm from Chicago. I'm Polish. He's Polish. Mm -hmm. He just he would not let me go. I mean, it, you know, we talked at the car. We talked on pit road. We talked back at the trailer. I mean, I must have spent probably a good two hours that day with him, and it was just an incredible experience. And you know, he was just he was a chatty Kathy that day. I, it was really kind of surprising. And um, my, I, I will treasure that day, you know, for the rest of my days on this earth, but there is one thing that kind of dovetails into that, that story that I will forever regret. And to this day, and I will do it to, to the day I die. Um, you know, he passed away in 93 and my wife and I were, uh, we had built our first house in 91 and then we built a second house in 94 because we had my mother move in with us. So we needed extra space. The kids were growing, starting to grow and all that kind of thing. So as I'm cleaning out stuff in the first house, 
I came across a letter from Mark Brooks, who was the 26-year-old PR director for Allen's team at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, he was, I'm sorry, he was a PR director for Hooters uh, at mm-hmm. the time that you know he was handling the Allen's, Allen's account. And he was such a nice testimonial that both Mark and uh, Allen had signed. And I don't know what prompted me to get rid of it. I threw it away in the garbage and I, and I will forever regret doing that. So that's my story. I mean, it's, yeah. but I, I love the time I spent with Alan. I mean, I, I could have spent a lot more. And I think that, you know, I've said this before, you know, uh, in closing here, he would have gone on to many more wins, many more championships. He would have been, I think, one of NASCAR's greatest ever. But yeah. 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 Well, you know, uh, Jerry, we've all made mistakes like that. I've, I've let things go. I wish I hadn't, but we've all made mistakes, but I do have a photo after uh, Alan, as I mentioned, when we were talking to Tom, uh, Alan finished second. I believe he finished second to Bill Elliott that day at Richmond, Mm -hmm. I believe in 91, maybe. But it was myself and two or three other reporters that were just talking to him after the race. Somebody snapped it. It might have been someone from NASCAR scene. I'm not sure who. But it's just a nice shot of of myself and two or three other reporters with microphones around Alan. And I still have that and it's framed here in my office. And I just, you know, it's just kind of cool to go back and look at it from time to time. But right. in that photo, he's got his hand kind of up in his hair, like, you know, like I talked about. <laughs> right, you know, right, right. Like he's rubbing his head, like, you know, trying to, you know, separate the gears in his head or something like he's trying to analyze what he did wrong. Right. And because he, uh, that was my impression of Alan. He's always trying to figure out what, what can I do better? What can I do better? And, and I, but you, it's a great experience that you had in those two hours talking to Alan, because that's very, very rare Yeah, that he would lend his time to someone, which says to me that he really enjoyed your company and, and enjoyed you as a friend. And that was, Alan didn't do that to, to too many people. So kudos to you for, for that friendship, because he did not do that. He was, well, he was very private. And well, hell, we even so talked about eating Polish food. I mean, we were talking, I mean, we were talking, I mean, it was, it was cool. such an enjoyable Great conversation, numbers. you know, so, yeah. but, but, you know, one final thing I'm going to mention before we sign off here is that um, even though I will forever regret throwing away that, that letter from Mark Brooks, um, I did, this is probably maybe 10, 12 years ago, I ran across somebody who was selling a copy of the 2000, I'm sorry, the 1993 uh, Alan Kowicki Media Guide. I spent $75 on it. Some of the best 75 bucks I've ever spent. Still have yeah. it. We'll never get rid of it though. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's okay. I mean, that's, you know, it's nice to have that in your, uh, in your briefcase, so to speak, just to pull it out from time to time and look at it. But, you know, one thing, as you know, that we do every time is to give a little info with uh, podcast. Oh, right, 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 right. And just very quickly before we go here, uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Johnny Allen, who we've talked about in past uh, podcasts. He is the only driver who is, has one victory in car number 58. That came at Bowman Gray Stadium, June 16th, 1962, uh, in a 200-lap Myers Brothers 200. Uh, and the first time that the number 58 started a race was at Vernon Fairgrounds in Vernon, New York. And that came on June 18th, 1950. Uh, and the person who drove it was a gentleman by the name of Harland Holmes. Never heard of Mr. Holmes, but... <laughs> Uh, he did it in June 18th, 1950. 
And uh, so there you go. Just want to give you a little info on car number 58 for podcast number 58. And there's only been one win, huh? In 58? Yeah, one win in, wow. in 74 years. Wow. So, wow. It, but we got in the win column, though. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, Ben, be you know, happy about that. That's right. Well, Ben, again, as always, love the the uh, the time together, and we yep. really enjoyed our our special guest, Tom Roberts. Uh, you know, longtime uh, PR uh, uh, representative for not only Alan Kowicki but Rusty Wallace, Kurt Busch, um, uh, Bobby Ellison, just a whole bunch of people. So, really, really enjoyed the time with Tom. We're going to get him back on a, a future episode. We'll have him talk. He'll give me have him give us the inside scoop on guys like Rusty and 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 Kurt and and Bobby as well too. And we're hoping to get. Uh, our next guest here in a couple of weeks and got a couple ideas i think that you will definitely want to stay tuned to um who it's going to be we should probably have it figured out by next week's show and it's going to be a big one i i've got ben and i've talked about who it's going to probably be so uh we will see yes exactly exactly (laughs) so all right for ben white i'm jerry bunkowski thank you for listening to episode number 58 of a lifetime in nascar podcast We'll be back next week with episode number 59. And again, thanks to Tom Roberts and everyone. You have a great, safe week, and we will catch you next week on a Lifetime of NASCAR podcast. A Lifetime in NASCAR is hosted by Ben White and Jerry Bunkowski and produced by Josh Mall. A Lifetime in NASCAR is a proud member of the Out of the Groove Podcast Network and is available on all major podcasting platforms. Visit GroovyMotorsports.com for more shows, and don't forget to check out the Out of the Groove Weekly Viewer's Guide. The Weekly Viewer's Guide is fresh every week of the season and includes exclusive content from myself and Ben White you won't find anywhere else. Get it every week. It's all fresh. It's all free. And it's all on GroovyMotorsports.com. Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.